You're listening to the Apple Insider Podcast. Welcome to episode 80 of the Apple Insider Podcast. I'm your host, Victor Marks, back from my travels around the world. Joining me is Neil Hughes, editor-in-chief of the Apple Insider website. Hey, Victor, how's it going? Uh, amazing. You amazing. know, I'm not even jet-lagged. Well, that's good. It's, it's, it's really something. How'd you manage that? Uh, there, there's some science, and, and I was reading this, but I forget everything about it, that suggests that traveling west is easier than traveling east. Mm-hmm. And so I was ruined going over, but on my return, just fine. Something and so like it the is. Time zones are the way it is. Something about the time zones and and the the way you travel with the rotation of the Earth, I I don't know. At any rate, sounds like some Buddhist study. Me. No, there was there there was some science behind this, and it, it it sounded conclusive. And you know what? We can dig it up later. But the point of it is, is that I managed to do it, and and the empirical evidence is is that I had no trouble getting back into the swing of things on the return trip. Good. So there we are. Before we jump into it, I want to talk a little bit about deals. Um, you know, it, it's it's we have a great relationship with B and H and and other folks who help support the Apple Insider website. And shoppers this week can save five hundred and fifty dollars off of a late 2013-27 inch iMac, which is not a bad machine by any stretch. Three point two gigahertz, eight gig of RAM, a terabyte hard drive, all this stuff, or four hundred off of a 2013-21 inch iMac. At B&H. Um, there are also 32 gig, 12.9 inch iPad Pros that are $100 off. And if you're like Neil and you love the DJI Phantom 4 drone, that's $200 off with a free 64 gig memory card. All of these deals are on our website and I'll include the link in the show notes. Now, Neil, on my trip, actually, we're just going to talk right about this. We'd talked about Mobile Pass before. Yep. And you had asked me if I've ever used it, and, and I hadn't at the time. But they they support Newark, which I was flying in through. And and my comment on Newark Airport is that Newark is just happy that they're not LaGuardia. <laughs> that's that's what they're really most proud of. As an airport goes, it's it's well, it's it's a it's an airport, right? You know, and it's not one of these new fancy ones. It's one of these ones where you'd say there's never been a saying saying as pretty as an airport, because airports are not pretty by and large. However, there are these little um, bar-like gondolas in the middle of the the, uh, the terminals, and they had the Dievole speakers hung all over them, mm-hmm. which Mike had reviewed way back. Yeah, those things are awesome. Well, I hadn't actually gotten a chance to hear them before. All I'd known is that Mikey had said that they were amazing. And I was sitting at this this bar in the middle of the terminal, and they had six of them strung up. <laughs> they are not bad. They sell them at the Apple store. You can see them at the retail stores. I, I'm going to have to make an, a point of going to the retail store and trying out. But I always feel embarrassed going into a store and turning music up. You know, I, I hate to be that guy that goes in and turns that something guy. up and blasts out the other customers, right? <laughs> like going in and blasting your music is the one way you're going to actually hear what a speaker sounds like. No, it's terrible. You know, you, you learn what a speaker sounds like by listening to your music in your environment, in, in your room kind of thing. and. So going into a retail store and, and annoying other people is not my way of doing things. But uh, but it was very cool that they had them at the airport, and I could actually hear what it was like. It was kind of neat. So when I landed in Newark, 
and I had my wife and kids in tow. And the first thing that we did was we did not fill out the form for customs that they hand you on the airport and the airplane. She looked at me and she said, we have to fill out the form, don't we? And I said, trust me, we're not filling out a form. And she, she went with it. She was annoyed, but she went with it. And we, uh, we wandered through the, the maze that happens once you deplane and got down to the area where passport control was. And they had a sign that said mobile pass this way. And we followed the sign. And there was another sign that said, turn left for mobile pass. And we turned left. And we followed another sign. We got to a set of kiosks for global entry. Now, global entry, my friends, is not mobile pass and, and does not work with mobile pass. And you get there and you're like, okay, now what? So I kind of looked around and said, great, what next? And this one lone guy sitting at one little uh, cube with a window says, oh, mobile pass, it's over here. Empty line, completely empty, because no one knows where the heck it is. And no one knows about the app either. No one knows about the app, and no one knows where it is. And so we go through it, and the scanner doesn't work. Now, so the way the mobile pass works is you, you put in your passport information, you put in your traveler information, you can put in your whole family in as one profile, then you create a trip, and you answer the questions that they tend to ask on that form. Did you bring any livestock back with you? Did you bring any fruit back with you? Whatever, you know? And then it creates you a QR code for each of the passengers. Mm-hmm. And you have to hold the phone over the scanner, scan the QR code, and then hand him your regular passport. He looks at your regular passport and goes, yeah, yep, that's you. Okay, Sl- pick up the phone, slide to the next QR code, scan that one, hand him your passport again. Right? Right. And so it's a repeated thing of of getting to the QR code, holding it over the scanner, hoping it scans, hoping the screen doesn't time out and turn off. Right? And and all of this, it, the scanner did not work well. Okay, it took like three tries to get it to scan each one. So it was mildly frustrating. The advantage was beating a line anywhere else. That part was good. The next step of this equation, you know, if, if it had just been that, I would have felt really happy because that would have been brilliant. The last time I came in through the country, uh, we waited in line at that step for about an hour and a half. So, so this is brilliant. But the next step is if you had any checked baggage, you got to claim your bags and then go through the second half of customs where they look at you and decide if you have anything to declare or if you're sneaking stuff through or not. Right. And here in Newark, they have three lines, one for global entry and crew, and then two for regular, you know, peons. And it's not signed at all. And so I walked up to the head of global entry line and, and asked. And they're like, yeah, you want the line on the far side. Well, there's no sign for any of this stuff. And so we go over there and we wait in line. And we get up there. And the guy is, he, he knows he's got the scanner, but he's never seen anyone do it before. The and problem with being an early scan- adopter. This scanner actually functions properly. So this one scans the passports and scans the codes. Mm-hmm. But he scanned the code. He's like, okay, which passport is it? Okay, which person is that? And then he looks at him and you do it again. And it takes a lot longer to do this rigmarole than it does to just hand over your blue form with four passports. They look at you and go, okay, fine, stamp, bye. Right? So all of the time that you saved up front on not waiting in the line, you get paid back for it a little bit at the other end. Now, but I it's grant still you, faster. If, it had, it's, if it had been the hour-long wait, yeah, it's still faster. But... I mean, there was no line at the first part of it, so fill out the – I mean, it depends on the airport, I'm guessing, too, but have the app and fill out the form, and then you got the best of both worlds. And when you get up to the front of the line, if it's going to take them long, you just hand them the form. They don't I care. don't know if you can do that. I, I don't know if you can do that. I don't know if once you've started the process one way, you have to complete it that way or not. 
right? Because once they've scanned the code, they've got a, a scan that matches in the system or something. Yeah, I don't know. Because they certainly didn't swipe the passports the way they normally would swipe the passports. But I mean, it sounds like it was the only holdup was the guy scanning stuff in the line, and then you got to bypass the earlier line, so it sounds a lot quicker to me. Yeah, yeah. Mo- the, really, truly, the biggest annoyance was the reclaiming the bag step. The question, well, that but that has nothing to do with the mobile. That pass. has nothing to do with the app. The no. question is, if you were flying again internationally, would you use mobile pass again? I, I think I would try and do what you just proposed, which is go both approaches and and use it to shortcut the line at the first step, and then use the paper to get out of the line faster at the other end. And and so yes, the answer is yes, I would. Okay. And and yes, I would, especially if I could see that there was a huge long line. Hey, that works. Um, you know, when I'm traveling by myself, I use global entry. And so I would have shortcutted the whole thing too anyway. But right. when I'm traveling with people in tow and I don't have global entry paid for all of them because that's an exorbitant expense, um, then yeah, mobile pass. Good to know. And I, I guess one of the things that I do want to say is that I'm kind of glad, I'm glad mobile pass exists and I'm glad that it is free to use. Because I, I like global entry a lot. I like TSA PreCheck a lot that I get as a byproduct of having global entry. But it always kind of irks me that you have to pay for that. And so I'm glad that this option exists and doesn't require being paid. So that's that's something big in its favor. And, you know, I, I'm almost a little afraid of telling people about it just because I don't want it to become used. Therefore, I won't be able to get through. Right. But but by the same time. But now you're broadcasting it to all of our thousands of listeners, so. Well, yes, yes, I am. I, I'm broadcasting it to our 150,000 handsome, beautiful listeners. And I'm telling you all this, that, um, you know, if it, it's, it's, it's kind of, a, it's a double-edged sword, right? If, if I don't tell you and no one uses it, because I have that power, right, um, then they'll probably take it away. It'll be one of those things that, that will have been a failed program and they'll probably take the scanners away and whatever. Right. So, I, I want people to use it so that it's there for me when I want it. Selfish reasons. Well, powerful motivator. <laughs> right? I know exactly what I want out of that situation. So go ahead and use it and, and fill up those lines a little bit so that when I need it, it's available too. And you won't regret it, really. I'm, I'm just picky about being the fastest out of the line. That's, that's kind of what I want to do is, is, you know, when I go to security, I've got all my stuff totally orchestrated so that... Did you ever see the movie Up in the Air with George Clooney? I did not, no. Okay, so uh, the, the the premise of the movie is that Clooney is a guy who goes around the country um, handling layoffs, telling people they're fired. Right, yeah, I'm and, familiar with the movie. And, and he has a, uh, yes, but our listeners, our fine listeners may not be, so I'm just going to click through quickly. And the idea is that he's got a trainee along with, and the trainee brings six suitcases and has no idea how to manage luggage through security, and it's basically a nightmare. And so he teaches her the fastest way through the lines, both in terms of looking at who's ahead of them in line and profiling about how to get through the line faster based on who's ahead of you in line, i.e. don't follow people with tons of kids in tow. And the, uh, the, the other advice is, you know, carry-on only, small luggage, uh, everything staged so you can get your laptop out quick if it needs to be in a tub. Um, although if you're doing global entry, it doesn't need to go into a tub. Pre-check doesn't require laptops out of the bags. But, but basically, you know, get your stuff staged so you can get through in and out fast. I am totally that traveler. And so doing the international thing with other people in tow 
is a huge slowdown and I'm just trying to get everything orchestrated as fast as possible. Tick, 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 one after the other, right through the line. And, and so that the mobile pass, you know, as, as much as I rag on it for slowing me down at the end and for the scanner, not working up front, you're, you're totally right. Total win. All right. So there you go. Everyone go download that app. There you go. Mobile pass for your iPhone. Let's talk about some iPads. Oh, okay. Let's talk about some iPads. Um, so there was a new ad this week, uh, kind of talking about what you can do with an iPad pro and how it can replace your MacBook. Um, and coincidentally, there were also uh, a bunch of new keyboards released. So Apple's own smart keyboard, uh, with a smart connector, uh, is now available in Arabic, British English, and Italian. Um, and also, uh, Logitech has jumped into the fray and they are now selling their, uh, their own smart keyboard, uh, the Create for the 9.7-inch iPad, but with a tweak that the 12.9-inch model didn't have, it has an Apple Pencil holder as well. So, uh, you know, we talk a lot about iPad and as a potential laptop replacement or at least as a more powerful computing platform. And uh, whether or not we're getting there, uh, little incremental updates like this week, uh, along with the ad that Apple is uh, running to push it, are certainly welcome. Just when you think you know what a computer is, you see a keyboard that can just get out of the way. And a screen you can touch on and even write on. And when you see a computer that can do all that, it makes you wonder, what else can it do? Is the, the narration for the advert, right? Yeah. And I, you know, it, it's funny. My iPad um, is something that I could never use for my daily work. But for personal and some business stuff, uh, it is in many ways better than my MacBook. Uh, it does a much better job. For example... Um, I've been signing a lot of documents lately, signing my life away, and I have an Apple Pencil that I would never really use otherwise, just because I'm not, I don't have terrible handwriting and I'm not, I can't draw. But uh, it has been hugely beneficial because I can just go purely digital. I load up the PDF on my iPad, I sign it, save it, email it. You know, previously I was printing it out using an app called like uh, Use Genius Scan on my iPhone to take a picture of it, convert that into a PDF, send it back, that kind of stuff. Or using Preview on my uh, on my Mac with my saved signature to paste it on there, but it's much easier to read through it, uh, pass it around for other people to sign it if they need to, br- break up the pencil, sign it, save it, bam, be done. Um, little things like that, and you know, depending on your use case, depending on what you do for a living, depending on how you're using it. Um, I, again, I, I stand by the fact that the iPad is a better computer than the Mac or PC for certain specific tasks. So that said, you said you can't use it for work. Right. I mean, I write for a living, and I have 8 million windows open at the same time. So it's not designed for that. It could be much better at multitasking than it is right now. Uh, Certainly, um, for example, um, using your finger to uh, uh, navigate is ideal for certain situations, but it's not nearly as efficient as if you're working for eight hours uh, using a trackpad. So right. that, that's an example of where, you know, the minimal movement required uh, combined with the efficiency of it of having, you know, moving your finger around a much smaller space just makes it much easier not having to hold your arm out in front of you and all that until Apple. And if they ever do add some form of trackpad slash mouse cursor support to an iPad, it would never be a computer replacement for somebody who stares at a computer eight, nine, ten hours a day. It just won't work. But if you're having on your feet job or you work at a kiosk or something like that, of course an iPad would be much better. If you're an artist, uh, uh, that sort of thing, yeah, definitely. 
Cool. Well, we're going to try an experiment here in my house coming up. Uh, we don't have an iPad Pro. We've got we've got a couple of iPad Minis and an iPad Air, and the wife's laptop is from 2009. And so we're going to take the wife's laptop away and we're going to replace it with an iPad. Let's see how she does. <laughs> if I didn't uh, work on my laptop and do what I do as a writer, um, I could, if it's my personal computer, my iPad would, would be more than enough. Right. And which is your iPad of choice? I have the 12 in, 12.9 inch iPad Pro and I love it. I think the screen is fantastic. The size is perfect. It's great for reading. It's great for viewing content, browsing the web. Um, it, it, it really, I, I always wanted a bigger iPad and ever since I got it, I've been so happy with it. It is funny to go back to like a 9.7 inch iPad, which this Logitech create keyboard case came out for this week because it feels so small. Cause the, the, the 12.0 inch iPad is essentially the same size as a 13 inch MacBook pro. It is huge. And, uh, and it, you know, it's there are disadvantages to that it's heavy and and that sort of stuff. But for me, the trade offs are worth it because I'm I'm not walking around with it. I'm not really using it one handed kind of thing. I'm uh, uh, generally speaking just on the couch, got it on my lap, got it flat on a table, something like that. Um, and it works great for that. Do you have the nine point seven inch iPad Pro? I don't have the nine point seven inch iPad Pro. I reviewed it, but that was just a, a loaner. Um, but I have used it, and I still have a, a nine point seven inch iPad Air two here that my wife uses now. Cool. Is that her primary computing device? It is. Uh, I have an old MacBook. She, for years, she was just using an iPad. Um, I have an old MacBook uh, that I kept around that she has been using when she needs to get on her computer and stuff like that. So she kind of transitioned. She was iPad for a while, and now she's more back to the MacBook. But um, yeah, I, I think you know demands and needs can fluctuate based on the user and how things change. But if if your primary computing is browsing the web and checking email and stuff, an iPad is more than enough, I think. Cool. So, you, what, what do you like about this Logitech Create keyboard? Um, the Logitech Create keyboard. I reviewed the one for the twelve point nine inch iPad. I do not personally like it very much. It's too bulky, and um, it's it, the the way that the iPad inserts into it is kind of a semi-permanent kind of way uh, in that you wouldn't want to remove it frequently. It just doesn't work well for that. If you want to turn your iPad into a notebook replacement and that is why you're buying it and you want to have a keyboard on there at all times and that's your primary purpose, uh, that's great. But for me, the, the convenience of the iPad is being able to have a keyboard occasionally, not to have it as light as possible, to throw stuff on there when I need um, so I prefer Apple's keyboard just because it's very easy to snap on and off and there's no protective case on the back. But a lot of people prefer the protective case. They prefer the backlight on the keyboard. I'm a touch typist. I don't need the backlights. Um, I don't use the Apple Pencil that much, uh, so I don't really need a dedicated holder for it or anything like that. I think that there's a, a market for the Logitech, uh, but if we're speaking for, for me personally, uh, that is not the type of keyboard that I'm looking for with my iPad. Cool. So... I, I have a question, right? Because this is this goes to a matter of, of taste. What what do you like about you know? I, I see it when I was on the plane. I saw a lot of people with iPads who are using folios, right? You know the kind of case cover thing that folds. Yeah, over a lot of those, and, those are very popular, and and the Logitech is a similar style. So what what makes one of those things a good thing? What makes those things a must have for people? Right? What are the features and, and parts of those that make them worthwhile? People like the folio style cases because they 
protect the back of the iPad, prevent it from getting scratched, drops, that sort of stuff. And it basically turns it into a laptop replacement. Now, when you look at devices like the 12-inch MacBook and the way computers are now, I think three, four years ago, a folio case with an iPad was still more portable than a laptop, more convenient, etc. Nowadays, with these ultra-portable, fanless notebooks that are coming out, including the 12-inch MacBook, I don't really see the need for it as much. Um, and they become heavy and they become bulky with these cases. So uh, people like them because of the protective nature and because they always have a keyboard there, and I guess that's what they want. They want a laptop replacement. Um, but the way that I envision the iPad is the computer that you need at that moment. So if you need it to be a laptop, you can attach a keyboard, but you can take it off. If you need it to be something you can draw on or or take notes or sign documents or whatever, you can grab your pencil. But otherwise, on its own, it's just a slate that you can get stuff done with as needed. Right. So it's that convertible nature that really works for you. Yeah, it, it can. I can turn it into what I need. So I have, for example, just the smart cover without the keyboard. And if I'm going on a flight, I will use that instead of the keyboard because I don't need a keyboard. I'm on a flight. I'm just going to be watching a movie. I just need something to prop it up. And so that's the cover that I bring with me. Right. It becomes the stand. Right. It, it's a stand. It covers the screen when it's in my backpack. It's great. Cool. Now, you were telling me about going to the Apple retail store and, and finding obscure products and things like that. So you went to a new store. They actually had the uh, DVLet Phantom there uh, at the Brooklyn store, which opened last Saturday. Um, it was packed, as Apple stores tend to be. The location is pretty good. Um, if you're familiar with New York City at all, it's pretty close to uh, the L train uh, in Williamsburg. And um, it is a much-needed store. Uh, Brooklyn, for me right now, the, the closest ones for me to go to, I'd, I'd have to take the L all the way over to the west side of Manhattan to go to the Meatpacking District store where the L terminates, and then i got to walk a couple avenues over. So having the store here is uh, very convenient. It is the first one in the borough of Brooklyn. Um, they really need another store uh, in South Brooklyn, more like downtown Brooklyn area, uh, but it's a start, and it's a nice store. You know, a lot of people in the comments were looking at the photos we took and complaining about the look of the building. Um, Apple always fits in with the local neighborhood and respects the character of the building that they're in. And they did that uh, in this one. They have nice brick archways with windows that uh, kind of peer into the store, big windows. Um, and I mean, it's an Apple store when you get in there. You know, they have wooden tables with the products on top. Uh, they have a nice area in the back with a big screen and some seating. And then the back left, they have a separate room for Apple TV and assorted accessories, including the aforementioned DVLet Phantom. And uh, yeah, I mean, it's a nice store and it's convenient for people that, you know, need to go get their phone swapped out or need to pick something up in a pinch or whatever. It's a good location. And people that are complaining about it are just going to complain about anything at this point, I think. Okay. Did you get the t-shirt? I did not get there early enough to get the t-shirt. No, we have a reader, uh, Ryan, who actually goes to all the the store openings here in uh, in New York. He's a fanatic about Apple retail. Um, and he always gets there as soon as they open and records video for us and stuff. Uh, they opened at 10. I rolled over about like 1 o'clock in the afternoon. They were out of t-shirt. Oh, so you, you weren't even trying. I, I, we talked about this before. I don't care about a t-shirt. What does that matter to me? You were, I wanted you to go and get one and so we could give one away. No, I don't. I don't have a T-shirt, and I didn't care that much. So I, I, I wanted to check out the store. You know, I do this for a living. It's a job, whatever. Cool. Well, it does look like a nice store. Yeah, it's nice. You know, they 
it, it used to be years ago that they would put the giant glowing Apple light on the outside of the stores. Right. But for most of the New York stores that I've seen, they have the, the sort of metal signs with the silhouette of the Apple cut out of them that are understated. They're muted, but they fit in with the neighborhood a lot better. Yeah, they're, they're, it's very nice. Um, they did that in London, too. Uh, that's something they've been doing in some stores for a while. It's kind of a new thing where it's understated, like you said, and I think it uh, it's, it's not flashy. It, it's very appropriate for the neighborhood. I've been in that London store. It's, um, you know, seeing the, the London store videos on the keynote when they introduced it, it seemed like it was going to be huge. And, uh, and actually going in there, it was, it was quite small compared to what I thought it would be. But, uh, but you know, they, they, they always do the nice things inside with the, the glass staircases and, the, uh, and, and, of course, they're doing the wooden tables throughout. And that look gets mirrored around the world even at the, the uh, third-party resellers. I was in a, a third-party reseller while I was away, and mm-hmm. um, they had the table there, and it was the same table that Apple uses for displaying the watches, for example. You know, with the, uh, the, the sort of lower level to the table that lo- levers downward hinged so that they can put the watches and then lever it back up to the display right. case kind of thing. Yeah, that's the, the, the same design language around the world. And it didn't used to be that, all, that resellers had that kind of stuff, but e- even where there isn't a proper Apple store in place, it's, uh, the, the design language and the fixtures are the same throughout. One thing that I noticed there that I had never noticed in an Apple store before, and I'm sure this exists at other Apple stores and I just wasn't looking or paying attention, was uh, they have a watch band area for the Apple Watch, and they're all every currently available in season band is shown, displayed, and there for you to pick up and put on your watch. So uh, I went over there and I hadn't seen the nylon band, so I was checking them out. And then a, a store associate came over and told me they were like, "Feel free to take off your bands from your watch and put it on and put it on and try it out and see what you think of it." So uh, the try on experience there is pretty neat. That's wild. I did not know you could do that. Yeah, I mean, I guess if you have um, a store that has one of those display areas like this one does. That's very, very cool. Um, I'm going to have to try that. Excellent. So let's talk a little bit about software, right? There have been a number of releases in the past week. Um releases of the third public betas of iOS 10 and macOS Sierra and, and uh, beta four with control center changes. So, mm-hmm. so what's going on in the world of betas? Cause we're getting, it feels like we're getting closer. Yeah. I mean, it's going to come out probably in September. That's what everybody wants to know. When's the software going to come out? So here's how Apple works. Um, this isn't any sort of secret inside information that I've got. This is just, no, 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 no. Tell us, tell us it's secret. <laughs> Tell us it's the secret. Every year, Apple announces new platforms at WWDC. This year, they announced four new platforms. Every year, iOS, at least, gets released in September, uh, usually a day or two before the phone. Pretty much with the phone, right? Day or two before the phones come out. So usually, Apple will hold a Monday or a Tuesday keynote. Uh, The platform will come out the following Wednesday, and then the phone will come out the following Friday. Last year was a little different. Last year, the phones came out two weeks later, so uh, the turnaround time was a little longer than usual. But generally speaking, you can expect a mid or early September event from Apple, a mid to late September launch of both the phones and of the operating system. So iOS 10 is on beta 4 for developers. It's on beta 3 for public testers. Um, iOS 10 beta 4 uh, adds a... 
the biggest new features are there are like a hundred new emoji uh, that uh, offer like uh, gender equality type things. So the different family arrangements they have in the emoji, for example, um, now uh, have you know additional configurations of families, however you want to call it, um, and different additional types of families, and then also. Uh, in professions and stuff. So now you can have females playing sports that uh, only males were shown playing before, and then vice versa. If they just showed a woman playing a sport, then they have a male version of it. So the idea is just to be uh, more equal and make everybody feel included. Um, And then uh, the other one that is a little bit controversial, I guess, is they changed the gun emoji to a uh, a children's... A water pistol. Water pistol, Yeah. Uh, I mean, who cares? I don't, it doesn't really bother me that much. Um, well, but you would have been fine, but there are people that are very offended by the idea of a firearm and a water pistol is a little less offensive. No, I, I, I meant for the people that are offended by the fact that they changed it to a water pistol. Oh, I, I don't know why they're so worked up. I, don't <laughs> uh, I mean, the gun emoji didn't really bother me that much either, but the fact that they changed it, it's like, who cares? Yeah. <laughs> like it's just such a non-issue to me that you know they changed it because they think that's best for business or whatever they want to do it doesn't bother me in the least i mean who cares well so there's an interesting thing here technically and the technical thing is that the there there's a standard for type and the characters and how they're encoded called unicode and apple has adhered to the unicode standard and supported unicode as as one of the very best in the industry supporting it um since 2001 when Mac OS X was released. And the emoji were originally not a part of the Unicode standard, and so you'd get weird things where you'd, you'd type an emoji on an iOS device and Android would render it with their image, but it would be a completely different symbol. Right. And that's bad for communication, and emoji, as, as humorous and fun as they are, are an attempt at communication. And so, you know, if you, you put in one kind of image and a completely different one pops up, even if it's unrelated and not actually damaging like i put in a smiley face and you get a flag you know it just it's incoherent um that's still a problem and so unicode adopted emoji into their character sets and they govern it as a standard now and so my question it becomes one where you know it's it's one thing when you change the the iconography a little bit so that the water pistol instead of the firearm whatever you're still communicating the same kind of thing but when you start adding multiple new families and things like that and and multiple new color tones because you're trying to do diversity which is, is sensible and good you know you, there's no reason to not be inclusive in a character set i um, think the, the thing here is it always has the default fallback um so okay that was that was where i was getting at is is when you start deviating from the standard and wait for the standard to catch up yeah so Apple what happens this when last- i text this to an Android device, right? <laughs> yeah, Apple, Apple started this last year, and they added diversity to the emoji with people of different skin colors and races. And uh, you can choose... Are you yellow? Are uh, you bright Simpsons yellow? <laughs> I'm as pale white as they come. Uh, but I you am can not still, yellow either. <laughs> all, all, of the, um, all the emojis are still available in the classic yellow, but you can do white, you can do brown skin, you can do black. Um, 
And, you know, I mean, it's good. Who cares? Anybody that's bothered by this is weird. Um, but, yeah, so what the way it works is if you send that to somebody who is on an older device that doesn't support the skin colors or on an Android device that doesn't support the skin colors, it just defaults to whatever their operating system has. So the one thing that you, that you didn't mention there is, yes, Unicode sets the standards, but the individual platform makers design the, co- the icons themselves, which is why if you're on Google Hangouts, you get these weird things that look like those candies, dots, you know, uh, like the candies. Yeah, they're, the they're, the, yeah, they're the little dots. Theater. They're the uh, the candies you get at the movie theater where they're like uh, right. Yeah, that's what they look like, and they're really weird looking. But uh, that is what Google has opted to use on. Well, that's the second set. It used to originally be little Android guys, and no one could figure out what the hell they were. Right. So, uh, so Apple has their own, and Apple actually in this latest uh, nine or iOS ten beta. Um, has actually uh, done even more than that, and they have modified the em- all of the emoji to give them a slightly more uh, 3D look. Uh, the, the shading on them is not as uniform. Um, it's like kind of a shadow effect on it that makes the, the faces and stuff look a little more 3D, so they're tweaked. But again, all they this They borrowed stuff- the set from Yahoo Messenger. I guess they look so they look so much like the Yahoo Messenger set from 2004. But the point is, it doesn't matter if I'm on iOS 10 and I send an emoji from iOS 10 to someone on iOS 9, they still get the proper emoji, even though it may not be the the color tone or whatever that I chose on it. They still get the right emoji. So the standard, you know, behind the scenes is just a, a arrangement of numbers that says this is the emoji you need to show, and that's the right. standard that everybody two five agrees. whatever is going to be smiley face. So Apple's doing some sort of proprietary modifier in there to make it work. Work, but it still works with other platforms. If you send your emoji, regardless of any diversity that you choose in it, uh, to somebody on Android, they're still going to get what you're saying. There's there's like a translator working in the background to make sure that the one that you sent gets translated to something that means the same thing on the right. other side. Yeah, yeah. So there's I don't think you have to worry about anything being lost in, in communication here. Uh, the uh, other change in the latest beta of iOS 10 is... Uh, just kind of an explainer. You know, as Apple gets closer to releasing this to the public, uh, they're making it a little more final and th- considering things that people in the public might need to know that uh, maybe people that are testing would already know. And a great example of that is the changes to uh, Control Center in iOS 10. So you swipe up from the bottom of the screen to access Control Center, as you always have. Um, but now, instead of being one pane with all the controls, you can swipe your finger toward the left and pull over from the right uh, d- additional panes for music controls and for HomeKit controls. And so even though there's three little dots at the bottom of the screen to uh, help people navigate and know where they are positionally in the UI, uh, people may not notice that or realize it. So when you swipe yeah, up no Control Center, discover that. when you swipe up on Control Center for the first time in iOS 10, starting with beta 4, there's a little splash screen there that just says, hey, we've now broken it out into three different screens. Swipe to see each one. Yep. Okay. Yeah, I'm glad that they've done that because it, Mikey and I commented on this months ago, right? Where I'd asked Mikey if he was using the new features in iOS, and he said, "Well, no, I use it the same way I always have." And part of that is is you've used it all the way you always have because you're comfortable using it that way, and part of it is you you may not even be aware of the differences. And so reintroducing it like this makes a lot of sense to me. Yeah, I mean, the control center changes I do use a lot. Because um, I've always enjoyed Control Center, and that is something that uh, I do like. Um, and then clear all notifications with 3D Touch on Notification Center uh, is also something that I find myself using. Well, that was that was something that came over from the watch, basically. Mm-hmm. Yep. It makes a ton of sense to make it work on the phone the same way, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. No, it, it's uh, it's good to have. And 
I am hoping that that's one of those things that will also work with non 3D touch phones uh, so that you can just long press or something. Yeah, that would be good if there was there were there were sort of backward compatibility ways for that to happen. Right, because you're not necessarily losing the efficiency of 3D touch um, by adding it to older devices. All you're doing basically is just make you're making it a little more efficient with 3D touch, but still work on older devices. I think that's okay. I agree. So uh, the other thing that happened in the latest iOS 10 beta was a faster text deletion with 3D touch. Yeah, that's one of those things that's kind of imperceptible. I tested it out, and I mean, I, I was if you press a little harder on it, it goes into the fast deletion mode faster is basically what it is. So still, if you hold down without pressing with any force, uh, it will gradually get faster in deletion as it always has. But now... You right, it goes from letters after a cuff to like two words of, of just going backspace by letters, then jumps to doing whole word deletion. Yeah, so if you start pressing it and then push a little harder, it will get into the fast deletion quicker is basically how it works. Okay. Straight to deleting whole words. Right. It, okay. it still takes a second, but it's faster. So um, I feel like that's one of those things that's still being tweaked probably. And, uh, you know, once it comes out, it may be a little bit more refined. One of the problems with 3D Touch is it can be difficult to know how hard you're pressing or how hard you should be pressing. It's not as accurate as I would like. And I think that's one of the reasons why I never really got into the um, multitasking 3D Touch where you swipe hard from the left side of the screen to pull up the windows. Um, Mikey was using that feature for a while and he was saying last week that he stopped using it. Um, I still just double tap the home button. Got it. I, you know, it's one of those things where I don't even have that device. I don't have the device with 3D Touch in it. So it's you're not missing much about doing, but it's good to hear you say that. It's it's better um, in iOS 10. 3D Touch is a little more full featured, uh, but it's still not really necessary. And uh, I would not be surprised uh, if by this time next year, it's still not really necessary. Okay. Let's talk a little bit about hardware. So. I was reading that supply chain sources are pointing to the idea of the iPhone 7 Plus, or rumored 7 Plus, having 3 gig of RAM. Yeah, this is a rumor that keeps popping up. Um, The expectation is that the larger 5.5-inch iPhone 7 Plus uh, is going to have 3 gigabytes of RAM, and the smaller phone will have 2 gigabytes of RAM, matching the iPhone success. I should make it clear that... I don't think, and I think most people don't think at this point, that the new phones are going to be called iPhone 7 and iPhone 7 Plus. Uh, it would seem that based on, without an external change, uh, that uh, Apple may change the, the naming, the moniker or whatever this year. Um, I don't know what they're going to do, but uh, when they I do... Pray, I pray it's not like when they did the iPad 3 and they called it the new iPad. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Um we will see. The, the iPad namings have been all over the place for years. It's kind of a problem. iPad Air, iPad Air 2, now iPad Pro. What's it going to be? iPad Pro 2? I don't really know. Um, but the, the new iPad was the worst because it was the new iPad until they introduced the iPad 4. And then you had the new iPad, which was the old iPad. And the iPad 4 was the new iPad. It just come on, guys. Yeah, they, they did the same thing with the MacBook Pro when they introduced the Retina display. It was the next generation MacBook Pro with Retina display. Um you know, I mean, whatever. Um, the the, but yeah, the the expectation is that the larger iPhone Seven Plus, which is what we're calling it for back of, lack of a better name, 
will be the more fully featured of it with the bigger upgrades. Dual camera. Uh, the rumor is that the three gigabytes of RAM is necessary for the new dual camera system uh, because the images will be so high quality, so high resolution. Um, and maybe a smart connector on the back. We'll see. Um, but yeah, uh, this it seems like this year there are going to be bigger differences between the two iPhone models. Cool. How, how, what do you think about the accuracy of these reports? How much credence do you lend them? You know, it depends on how far out we are. So there are some people and some sources that are, tend to be pretty good. So if, for example, Ming-Chi Kuo puts out something, um, as much as people like to complain about him, uh, you know, we're eight, nine, ten months out from a product launch, sometimes more. And he's right well more than half the time. Usually stuff he nails way, way, way ahead of time. Um, other sources, not so much. Uh, Digitimes, for example, um, get some stuff right in terms of the general supply chain, uh, what they're working on, where things are heading, what the companies are ordering, what they're expecting. But they have such a, a low-level view of it that they can't really see the bigger picture. So a great example was a couple weeks ago. Uh, they were talking about new MacBook Airs coming this fall. Um, but I think that was one of those things where probably their sources in the supply chain are getting parts and they're getting whatever, and they see this ultra-thin notebook coming through, and they're like, oh, it's got to be a new MacBook Air. But for us, looking at it you know, from a little bit of a higher level, what we do, uh, it's like, well, the MacBook Air is on the way out, and Apple needs to be making the MacBook Pro thinner, and the MacBook Air... Uh, design and size is probably something that Apple would like to squeeze a MacBook Pro into, especially considering now they have the super thin 12-inch MacBook. So imagine that the new MacBook Pro were to be so thin that somebody who wasn't really thinking in terms of that was thinking, oh, this must be a new MacBook Air. I think that's what's going on there. And so this report is another example of that with the three gigabytes of RAM. Um, in our headline, we said iPhone 7 Plus because that's what the rumors have been saying in Ming-Chi Kuo. But if you go read the original Digitime story and you dig deeper into the story, they didn't differentiate between an iPhone 7 Plus and an iPhone 7. They just said the iPhone 7 is going to have 3 gigabytes of RAM. And I think that's, again, one of those things where the people that are in the factories or that are leaking the information to sources like Digitimes aren't necessarily as knowledgeable about the products or Apple's uh, uh, way of doing business or even the existing rumors. And so some stuff kind of gets lost in translation, for lack of a better term. And so that's why you have to take those reports with a grain of salt. Now, you can't throw the baby out with the bathwater. Uh, th they still do have valuable information that ends up proving to be correct. But uh, the way that uh, – I don't know if it's because they're a Taiwanese publication. Like a couple of years ago, they said the new 12-inch MacBook was coming um, it, at some point at the end of 24 2014 or in 2015. So they basically had like a 15 month window in which this product could come out, you know, and it's like, and I think that probably that might be because English is not their first language. And that's part of where the problem comes from too. Uh, the way they intended to write it was not, um, uh, the way that it came across, but it, you see these reports and what we try to do at Apple Insider is we try to make sense of them. We try to look at them and see what is logical, um, what is probable, and then translate that to the reader without disrespecting the original source material um, because they were obviously the source of the rumor. Uh, a great example of that is <laughs> someone in the comments who listens to the podcast, I, I don't know your name off the top of my head, I'm sorry, but um, was talking about, uh, there was a story that we did, it was a Digitime story about this year's I, uh, Apple Watch 2. And uh, I was simply 
you know, because the story didn't really have much. It was a Digitime story and just said that suppliers were gearing up to launch new Apple Watch either in, like, September or October of this year. Now, that alone, even though it's not much, is interesting because if you're sitting around waiting for a new Apple Watch, you want to know when it's coming out, right? I mean, you're interested in that, right? Yeah. So I wrote a story about it, and then uh, I don't want to get too technical here, but, you know, as you write a news story, uh, I I went to journalism school. There's a style called inverted pyramid. The more newsworthy and new information goes up top, the less interesting information goes down towards the bottom of the story. So the very last... Don't the lead. Yeah, exactly. The very last line at the very end of the story was talking about rumored features of the Apple Watch 2. And one of the things that I said was that you know, reports have said that Apple's looking to include uh, GPS and potentially LTE radio in the second generation Apple Watch. Someone who listens to the podcast went into the comments and basically took that as like my personal hopes for the Apple Watch. And they, they heard what I say on the podcast and they thought that that was why I included it in the story because as if me including it in a story and wishing for it to be so will make it so. So so to be very clear, you and I have a, a personal friendly bet. Yes about whether or not it's got those things in it. But that's not really relevant to what the news says, to what other sources say, or or really much of anything other than the fact that it's entertaining that you and I have this agreement or disagreement. Sure. Right? So, of course, it goes at the bottom of the story, because it's not, it's not our hopes and dreams and fondest wishes, dear listener. It's just, that's kind of the news, and it's that's the weak part of the news. That's sort of a known speculation. And the idea of writing that way is somebody who just wants the latest information or who just skims the headlines will be informed without a clickbait headline that says you won't believe what happens next. So if somebody and goes to Apple Insider, number four. right, if somebody <laughs> comes to Apple Insider and they read the headline and they read the lead, they get the gist of what the story is even without clicking on it. But let's say that you don't really know much about the Apple Watch 2 and you're really interested in buying one and you want to find out everything that you want to know. If you click on our story and you read to the bottom, you're going to get the complete picture. You're going to get the full picture. But there have been so few rumors about this year's Apple Watch that it's hard to really say what's going to happen and what's not. Now, you referenced our bet. I told you I don't think that they're going to have an LTE radio or GPS in this year's watch because I don't think that the battery is going to be able to handle it. I just don't. And mm-hmm. that's that's the funny part is when I read comments like that, it's somebody thinking that like it's my my opinion that's entering there and I'm only reporting it because it's my opinion. My opinion is I don't think it's coming this year because I don't think that it's technically possible. I think that it's an issue and I think it might take another year, two years, maybe even three years, depending on battery life and capabilities and all that. Would I like for it to happen? Of course. And that's the danger in doing this podcast. And one of those things that, you know, I was reluctant when we started doing this is because I don't want people to conflate the two. I don't want them to think that because I speak my mind on here, it really is weighing in that sort of way on my reporting. When we write a story on Apple Insider, we all have biases. That's just the way that we are. We're human beings. But, you know, I try to do the best of my ability to report accurately to readers what is coming. The Wall Street Journal, which, like them or not, or a major publication that have had legitimate Apple scoops in the past are the ones that said that Apple wants to add an LTE radio and GPS to the watch this year. So I included it in the story and said that it's rumored that that's what's going to be coming. So, you know, when it comes to these supply chain rumors, um, it's hit or miss. They're not all going to be winners. We try to do the best we can to sort out the nonsense. As we get closer to the release of a product, as we're doing right now with the iPhone 7 or whatever it's called, the picture is starting to come together better and better and better every day. Um, we are not quite there yet where we have a full functioning phone, although we had a partially functioning phone that was uh, posted today. 
Uh, so, you know, as we get closer to the September release, we're going to have a much better idea of what it is. But you're kind of sifting through the sand as we go through the year coming up to a product release. Tell me about that partially functioning unit. What is that thing? Uh, supposedly, if it's an iPhone 7, um, it shows uh, Apple's test software. So there's something they have in the factories where with a phone, they can make sure that certain functions work. The touchscreen, 3D touch, the camera, etc. Uh, the, 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 the and, and occasionally in the past, that test mode software has leaked out on devices that have been sold on eBay and things like that. Someone's pockets one from the factory, whatever, it gets out. So whether this is a you know, skin that somebody put on top of an existing iPhone or what it is. It's claimed that what they're showing is an iPhone seven running the test software. It's so hard to tell with these blurry videos and photos and everything that come out. You can't really say definitively, but what we can say is the software shown running on it is actually Apple's test software. Um, and so it would appear to be an iPhone of some sort, uh, that was shown in this video coming from the far East. Cool. Very cool. I, I just like the run-up to these releases. I like the way that, that we get there. Now, I want to change topics completely. I'm going to shift through a couple different topics that aren't related to rumors and such. This one is one that's important to me, and it was about the uh, the report on Apple's diversity. Mm-hmm. So, so Apple has, in the past, issued different reports. They've done reports about how they're doing in terms of labor in China. They've issued reports about diversity in the past. Well, this year, this report is that the company is 68% male, 32% female, and that's a shift of a single percentage point in favor of women. So before it was 31%, 67%, mm-hmm. no, 69%. And and the U.S., the company is 56% white, 19% Asian, 12% Hispanic, 9% black, and 2% multiracial, and another 1% in another category. Um, so some of the percentage points have shifted around, but it's really only moving by two points, one point here and there. Um which is, I mean, the, not. I mean, when you have a company as massive as Apple to move the needle, you would have to hire a, a huge number of people. So, yes, yes, you'd have to to hire a large number of people to may change that percentage point drastically. Um, what's also important here to note is that pay equity within the U.S. Apple claims that they've achieved complete and total pay equity as of August, which is huge. Mm-hmm. And, and something that I'm really pleased to hear. On the worldwide front, they didn't release any numbers, but they're still working on it. They, they, they acknowledge that there's still work to do. And, uh, you know, there's a lot that goes into deciding what is equity, right? So you've got to go with salary, bonuses, stock grants, all these different things. And, and they're doing it. Yeah. Because that's, that's you know, they, it's, it's not just adding new emojis. It's, it's actually trying to live what they're doing. Right. And that's a, that's a more fixable problem. Uh, when it comes to diversity, that's a little more difficult because as anybody who knows about, you know, the STEM classes and, uh, the lack of, uh, women and minorities, uh, that actually go to college for this type of stuff and pursue it. Um, that's one of those things that happens from a young age, you know, from generations of, uh, women being taught, you know, your places at home, taking care of the kids or being in the kitchen or what have you, uh, yeah, nonsense. M- math and science, uh, women and, and, uh, minorities and other people have in many ways been discouraged from studying those subjects, even though, uh, they could excel at them just as well as men can white men. Well, so- and, and even when, when there are women who study these topics and, and are, are well qualified, it's hard as hell to get a job when. You have hiring practices inside Silicon Valley startups, for example, that are, you know, old boys clubs as young frat kids who are basically saying, well, you know, you're not a cultural fit or just making people feel unwelcome, right? 
there there are tons of ways that that people exclude other people and this is one of those things that happens and so apple's doing a huge thing in trying to attempt this and it's important for future generations too a lot of people don't realize seeing a black ceo or in apple's case a gay ceo or a woman on stage you know as they had a few at wwdc this oh. year um that if you're a well, younger or, person or, you know I was just thinking of Angela Arendt and, yeah. and Denise Young-Smith, and, and there are tons of people we could call out. Yeah, if right? you, if Tristan Walker is head of Bevel. There, there, are, there are a lot of people, Wayne Sutton, there, there are a lot of people who are blazing the trail, let's say. And if you're a younger person and you are looking for somebody to look up to who happens to look like you, it doesn't mean that you don't like white people or something. You know, One of the, one of the uh, comments that I see a lot uh, from people is, uh, why don't they just hire the best people for the job and not worry about this stuff? And it's like, you're not really seeing the forest for the trees here, you know? Like, th- this is a very complex issue that ha- that has all kinds of factors at play. Uh, systemic uh, issues in American society and global society, uh, educational issues, the way that we treat people, the things that we expect from people. And to address that takes a concerted effort by everybody, uh, companies, individuals, uh, education systems, governments, you name it. Um, it, it's a, it's a serious issue that needs to be fixed. Well, and, and the idea of meritocracy is, is a valuable one because, but, but the problem is that we're all humans and human hiring practices don't really in the evidence or the suggests that we don't really get a meritocracy when we set out to make one. Right. This is and not so, something that will be fixed in our lifetime. Pay equity is a little easier to fix because you can just kind of look at the numbers and say, well, that it doesn't really weigh on how many women you've hired, for example. That's just if you're in this position and a man's making this much, you should be making this much. Um, that That is a little easier to fix. But when it comes to recruitment and to uh, tilting those numbers to be a little more even and a little more representative of some American society, that takes a few generations of people going to school, studying, becoming qualified, becoming knowledgeable in these subjects. And, and applying for the job, not not getting scared away from the subject by bad hiring practices from other non-cultural, or you know, a bad guidance counselor somewhere who says, oh, you know, maybe you can't afford college or something like that. I mean, this is stuff that that happens from a very young age that's an issue, and that is why it's important for Apple and other companies to work on this stuff and to address it. And I mean, that's just part of being a modern, responsible company, and that's what Apple's doing. Absolutely. In other news, the FBI Director Jim Comey is back. Oh, boy. You thought that he went away the last time he was told that he knew nothing about encryption. He should go away. And, uh, well, here, here's the problem with people in, in governmental positions, whether they're elected or not, is that they, they tend to not go away on a topic uh, after they've been defeated. They just keep bringing it up until they get their way. Mm-hmm. And Comey is relaunching the debate, even though everyone else told him that he was foolish for doing it, right? The NSA told him he was foolish. The the uh, um, <sighs> blanking on the acronym, uh, but but numerous people have told him that he's going about this all wrong, including people in Congress. And he is back. He says that it's time to relaunch the debate about the encryption legislation with tech companies before something terrible happens and alters the course of the discussion. Um, at some point, we're going to have a major figure, event in this country, and encryption is going to figure into it. And we've got to have this conversation before that happens, because obviously, after that, the time for thoughtful reflection will be reduced. <laughs> so he uh, he he thinks that now is is his chance to go again to try and get things set up his way, so that he can have backdoors to everything. 
Let's let's put this out there. I have no problem with the FBI attempting to crack Apple's iPhone. I have a problem with Apple helping the FBI crack the iPhone in ways that go beyond, you know, they should be working well, against each other. That's the I, way it is. I, I have a problem with the federal government compelling companies to do work that they would not otherwise do right. for minimal or no compensation. That, that, because that's that's basically saying that the company is enslaved to the government. Well, and there should and compensation should even be a factor. Here. I mean, work. if Apple created well, a backdoor for iOS, then the compensation is out of the question. They're they're effectively, you know, nerfing their own product. Yeah. So, the FBI has a right to try to break Apple's software, just as you know, a white hat hacker does, or anybody else. Or and, foreign governments or whatever. And I don't think that the FBI should be required to disclose to Apple when they have an exploit. I think that that's one of the advantages of a free market and a free country is everybody's kind of working either with or against each other or however they decide to do it. And if Apple doesn't want to share stuff with the government, they don't want to do work for the government, that's entirely their right. Well, here we are again. Let's see how it goes. Right. It's it's just such a shame that we can't make can't get Jim Kelmy to, to understand when he's been beaten. <sighs> Well, let's go through a few uh, quick here before we got to wrap up. Well, I want to talk Time Warner really quick. Yeah, go so ahead. Time Warner. So, Eddie Q had a meeting with Time Warner, and Time Warner CEO says that that the Apple buyout of Time Warner was never serious. Well, why would it have been serious? There's absolutely no re- reason for Apple to buy them. Right, and and so the report. There's a report that said that um, in May, Q raised the idea during a 2015 meeting uh, with the head of Time Warner's corporate strategy, but the tax never went beyond a preliminary stage, and that's that's kind of it. Is that you know it didn't go very far. But Time Warner bought out 10 uh, percent stake in Hulu this week, and they're going to stream networks live on there. TNT, CNN, TBS, and all going streaming on the Hulu, but not HBO. Yeah. So one of the things. That, that came out about this Time Warner thing is that Time Warner executives were really miffed. They were annoyed that Eddie Q showed up for a meeting wearing jeans, tennis shoes, no socks, and Hawaiian shirt. And that's, that's Eddie shows up for, why they didn't take... Eddie shows up for keynotes wearing that. They don't own suits, for God's sakes. <laughs> right? Yeah. I mean, listen. They don't, they don't own suits. I mean, when... Oh, okay. Mr. Cook, I'm sure, has a tuxedo at his disposal. Mm. Right? There, there are events and occasions where it makes sense to have such a suit, and I'm sure he's got one, right? You don't think Mr. Cook goes and rents himself a tuxedo each time? Uh, he has a, he has, he's worth billions of dollars. He's got a custom-made, tailored suit. He's got a tailored, bespoke suit. But Eddie Q has no need for one, probably doesn't own one. I, I, would, I would bet you that his Hawaiian shirts are tailored. Because baller. So Eddie, so Eddie Q uh, listens to Eddie Q uh, showing up for a meeting with Time Warner wearing a Hawaiian shirt. Um, I'm very sorry, Mr. Time Warner executive. That is the serious meeting. Well, this came out last week where uh, the media companies were kind of like balked at Apple's offer for a streaming TV service, including Disney, who's a close partner of of Apple. Bob Iger is on Apple's board. Um, uh, Lorraine Powell Jobs is the largest shareholder of Disney because of the uh, the Pixar buyout. So they're two very close companies, but I guess the terms Apple offered were not agreeable to um, 
uh, to media companies, and so they walked away. But the media companies then turned to the media itself to tell a story about how Apple were a bunch of jerks coming and making demands that they could never agree to. Well, you know, it, it's... I'm not worried about Apple. Well, Apple has the clout, and so they basically go into the negotiating uh, room wearing their Hawaiian shirts or whatever they wear, their black mock turtlenecks, and uh, say, this is the way it's going to be. And not everybody likes that. Mm. So it is. Do you have any other story you want to discuss before we wrap up? We should talk about, um, or at least just touch on uh, iOS 9.3.4 release this week. Uh, it has an important security fix in it. Um, it f- addresses. I just a- taped it to 9.3.3. It was just issued a few weeks ago, and 9.3.4 is out today. It fixes a jailbreak. Uh, nothing else major, but uh, important security uh, bug there that should be uh, addressed, so update your stuff. And then the last thing um, that I wanted to touch on briefly is um, Apple uh, filed an amicus brief today um, on behalf of 100 leading design professionals um, who are supporting them in their patent infringement case versus Samsung uh, before the Supreme Court. The Supreme Court is going to hear that on October 11th. Um, and as we lead up to that, Apple uh, and Samsung have been filing their appropriate paperwork. Um, speaking out on behalf of uh, uh, Apple are some pretty big names, uh, Dieter Rams, uh, Calvin Klein, and Norman Foster. Uh, there were designers uh, that have worked for the likes of Coca-Cola, Google, uh, Samsung itself, actually, uh, Louis Vuitton, NASA, Porsche, Starbucks. Um, so a lot of big names working for a lot of big companies. Um, and the 63-page filing basically goes through how design uh, becomes not only an important part of a product, but becomes the identity of the product. And the best example they had in there, I thought, as I read through this thing this morning, was talking about coca-cola um in the early 1900s coca-cola was soda just like anything else that was out there and they had a generic glass bottle that could be easily copied by competitors it was just a generic clear glass bottle and so uh they went back to the drawing board and they came up with what is now the iconic uh, sort of hourglass shaped uh bottle with the cursive coca-cola logo on it and uh you know they, they pointed out in this amicus brief that they filed that even to this day Uh, Customers will routinely say that Coke tastes better when it's consumed from their contour bottle, even though there's absolutely no difference in the formula, whether it's a can or same water. Yes. But having it in a glass, that experience of having it in your hand, the feeling it on your lips, that is uh, part of the product and what has made the product so iconic. And so the argument that that Apple and these over 100 designers uh, are arguing is that it's very important to have that design be recognized properly and if other companies copy the design then it takes all the work and effort that apple put into designing things like the iphone and the ipad and and toss it out the window and so they think that samsung should be paying for this and another interesting thing they had in there i'll point out really quickly was they they noted that in samsung's filings they were showing these candy bar shaped phones that existed before the iphone that had a big touchscreen on the top but as apple noted what they weren't showing was what these phones also had when they're used which is a slide out keyboard slide out number pads uh you know these moving parts these uh physical inputs the thickness of them um in the filings that samsung has made they weren't being 100 percent truthful about how these products were used and what they looked like before the iphone came out definitely definitely well 
here's hoping that case wraps up shortly. I would love to actually go through and read all of the the briefs filed by those those designers. You know, just there's a documentary coming on Dieter Rams that's being done by the same fellow, uh, Gary Hustwit, who did mm-hmm. the documentary on Helvetica. Mm-hmm. I'm looking forward to that so much. It's going to be incredible. Yeah, Johnny Ive was in his uh, design uh, documentary. What was that thing called? There's a trio that he's done. Yeah. Let's let's see here. And I follow Hustwit on Twitter. He's he's just you know if you're into design. This is the oh, objectified was the uh, the film you're thinking of. Uh, Johnny Ives in it, yeah, yeah. So h u s t w i t dot com is his domain, and uh, and and check him out because that that film when it comes is going to be great. It's it's called Rams, and it's the feature in the documentary about Dieter Rams. Awesome, cool. Well, that wraps up this episode of the Apple Insider Podcast, episode eighty. Neil Hughes, where can people find you on the internet? You can read my musings, but the, they are not necessarily representative of what I say on the podcast at appleinsider.com. And uh, you can follow me on Twitter at this is Neil, N-E-I-L. And if Neil and I come up with a bet about what's going to be in the iPad Pro 3, <laughs> we'll tell you all about it on next year's Apple Insider podcast. Next year's? <laughs> Well, we're not going to talk about it next week, are we? I like it. I like it. Okay. All right. That's all, folks. Cool.